this is uh, Dan Horn, writer of the Comic Book Bit. Um, this is our podcast for uh, May 14th, 2012. Uh, I am joined by Editor-in-Chief of the Comic Book Bin, Hervé Saint-Louis. Hi, I think you meant March. What did I say? May. Yeah, March. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep that in there. Time's moving fast enough as it is, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, can't wait for San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, joined by... Uh, do you want me to do that again, Hervé, or...? No, no, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep rolling. I'm joined by uh, Editor-in-Chief of the Comic Book Bin, uh, Hervé Saint-Louis, and also Dave Elliott, um, who is... Uh, He's, he's a comic book industry mainstay, uh, and he's got a new book coming out, um, Odyssey, which um, he's here to talk with us uh, about today. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hey, I'm good, thank you. Uh, uh, glad to be here. Cool. Great. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Um, so you are... You've had quite a, uh, a career in the comic book industry. Do you want to kind of tell us, um, you know, your your whole uh, um, history, I guess? Um, pull up your seats, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're in for a long one. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, I guess I have. I've been in, I have been in the industry for a long time. Um, uh, get on for... 26, 27 years now. Um, I first got into the business actually as a um, inker for Marvel, um, and pretty much around the same time, I actually started work for a, a, a small, very small British company that just got the rights, just taken over the rights for reprinting the Judge Dredd comics 2018 material. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I became kind of editor-in-chief, managing editor, art director, production manager for that line of books. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, you know, I was getting that dual kind of experience of, you know, here's my art training background. Um, uh, I um, majored in printmaking and illustration. And my my first work was actually doing storyboard work um, for commercials and film. Um, but always loved comics, so you know, um, doing a little bit of editorial work, doing some artwork, and I ended up doing more and more of more artwork. You know, working on Transformers, Thundercats, Action Force, or GI Joe. You know, for the UK, Doctor Who. And um, a very good friend of mine, um, Gary Leach, um, who was the artist who, along with Alan Moore, they co-created, they, they shall we, recreated Marvel Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so after, after Warrior had finished and, you know, I'd been inking for a while, um, Gary and myself decided, you know, to self-publish our own comic. We were going to have... We're going to just do a little 32-page comic, split it down the middle, have half half each. And from the moment we decided, I mean, again, remember this is this is like late 80s. <laughs> and from the moment we decided to do that, we, you know, you, this this is by the way, this is at a time when you could still actually go down the 
go to a comic convention in London, go down the pub, have Alan Moore be there, have, you know, um, Dave Gibbons, Brian Bolland, Kevin O'Neill all hanging out, having a pint at lunchtime or having bought some comics and chatting about comics well, without that's... anyone, without anyone being swamped. <laughs> um, so as, as Gary and myself, you know, you're sitting there having a pint and they're going, oh, well, what are you working on? And then like Gary and myself going, oh, I know we can do our own comic. And when you tell people, they were like, oh, oh, can I do a short story? In the back, and I was like, "Yeah, sure, of course." You. We kept going. We kept going. Yes, we kept going. Yes, yes, yes. Of course you can. So that so that thirty-two page comic eventually became a ninety-six page um, yes. collection of short stories yeah. um, called A One, mm-hmm. and you know, it was Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, Ted McKeever, um, Neil Gaiman, Dave McKean, um, Eddie Eddie Campbell, Wow, Phil Elliott. Um, Yeah, but I mean, again, don't forget this was, as I said, this was a time when you could go into the pub and even if you were a fan, you walked into the pub, but you'd probably be able to, had a very good chance of actually being able to sort of chat and have a chat with Alan Moore. This is before (laughs) Swamp Thing had really sort of blown out and definitely before Watchmen. (laughs) Um, So it was, I mean, from that point perspective, it was a really very sort of cool time. Um, and it was very much, at least for England, it was the first time anyone really got to do, you know, create their own material, which is why we actually never had any trouble filling it because there wasn't really much opportunity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, so Gary and myself ended up doing seven, seven of these books. We, we planned to do six, we did seven and. Um, I did a follow-on. Um, I actually uh, had uh, um, Carl Potts, who was uh, then the editor-in-chief for Epic at Marvel, approached yeah. me to, to do a, a, a second series of A1 um, for Marvel. And this was obviously a very different Marvel from we have now. Yeah. Um, because, again, it was, I, it was the first thing out of my mouth was, well, we only do creator and material. Um, and, you know, it's... With A1, it was, I, I, I guess it was coming from a creator background myself, which was, I don't want anyone to own my rights. Yeah. Um, and so with, and Marvel actually agreed. So we did a four issue color series and it was, there was, a, it was, you know, it was complete hands off. They let me put in anything I wanted. Wow. Um, <laughs> the times have changed. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, it was just like, it was just, it was great though. I mean, like, you know, you've got Ken Williams, Scott Hampton, Dave McKean, Jamie yeah. Hewlett, wow. Pete Milligan, um, <laughs> Phil Bond. It was just, um, you know, uh, it was just, you know, really nice eclectic group of, of creators, which is what A1 really was about, but it was, I think it, it just happened to go that way. It was, it was just, what do you, what happens when you give artists complete creative freedom? Yeah. And that's kind of pretty much what my career has always been about. It's even, um, even when I, I, I after this, I, uh, um, I worked on Deadline magazine, which was, um, a magazine started by Brett Ewins and Steve Dillon in the UK, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, where artists like Jamie Hewlett and Philip Bond kind of sort of, you know, broke their teeth on um, working alongside Brett and Steve. And 
when Brett and Steve, you know, needed to to get, you know, wanted to get back into doing um, work at DC, um, and they, you know, a lot of work was piling up. I I took over for a year, mm-hmm. uh, so that was that was fun. You know, it's like it was it's, it was a pop culture, music, and comics magazine. That's cool. Yeah, so yeah. you know, interviewing like you know Blur, Oasis, um, back oh, wow. again, back when they were starting. I mean, it was yeah. when they when they no one had even heard of them. Mm-hmm. I think I was I think I was like the second person to interview Blur. <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's crazy. Yeah, um, and so yeah, so and then on from there, um, so I was I was working on A One simultaneously, and then it was. Um, uh, you know, when you when you have that sort of when you when you believe in creators' rights, you're going to cross paths with other people who feel the same way. Yeah. And that's when I first met Kevin Eastman, um, when he was just starting Tundra. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Kevin, um, it was funny. I had to go to Kevin because in there was a magazine I was publishing called Blast in the UK, and I was reprinting some Mr. Monster stories in there. And at the time, Mr. Monster was actually being published by Tundra. So um, I had to, you know, I called up Kevin to ask permission, say, hey, look, I've spoken to Michael. He loves the idea. Do you mind? Is it all right if I reprint these stories? Mm-hmm. And we started chatting, and he was, like, saying, well, what are you doing? And, you know, he loved day one, and, you know, I love the turtles. So um, <laughs> after a few conversations, he came around to, like, well, I'm, you know, you know I'm doing this Tundra. And he goes, like, yeah, no, it sounds great. He goes, well, I want to start a Tundra UK. I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> and it's like, well, will you run it for me? Wow. So, so again, it was, you know, getting to work with people I knew, like Alan Moore, yeah. um, Dave McKean, um, Eddie Campbell. Um, <clears throat> and again, you know, working, bringing on board projects, you know, working, carry on working with the people I knew at Deadline, like Jamie Hewlett and Philip Bond. <laughs> Um, Simon Bisley. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Simon Bisley. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was actually at, at, uh, Tundra that I, um, published the, um, the Monster Massacre anthology that I'm actually bringing back this year. Oh, great. Well, it seems kind of like, um, when you champion creators' rights, uh, <laughs> You can't help but have people gravitate towards you in the comic book industry, you know? Like, yeah. it's just, uh, serendipitous things are, are bound to occur, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I, I think as, as well, I think this, we've, we've seen, I think this year, this year probably more than for a long time, um, I think creators really, I think that there's a lot of creators who have been sitting on the fence about, you know, trying to find out, like, well, I've, you know, I'm doing this book for Marvel or I'm doing this mm-hmm. book for DC and, you know, I do want to do my own creator own thing, but, you know, I don't know when to do it and I'll do it eventually. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen here this year, there's been like a culmination of different things that have been going on. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of creators have sort of like realizing that, well, no, now's the time. Now this, yeah, now's the time to actually start doing my own creator own material. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, You've got a lot of creators going to Radical, which you know a lot about, and yes. you've got this huge uh, image comic surge as well right now. We talked right. to uh, Jim Zub last week about that. Um, it's kind of like a creator-owned uh, renaissance. No, it is very much so. Um, and I think that, you know, 
for both new creators. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's still, you know, there's still plenty of creators who kind of like, oh man, I, I you know, I've got this Spider-Man story, I've got this Batman story, I've got this, mm-hmm. you know, Superman story is burning inside. And I'm not going to be able to sort of like, I can't focus on anything else until I've got this story out of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think you're just, there's more. I think, in fact, there's probably more creators now who kind of, they're seeing it as like, well, all right, well, God, yeah, look, I, you know, I suppose, I'm, I, I, I suppose I have to figure out a way of doing a Batman story before I can do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, like, if you look at what, um, you know, the guys, um, in New England are doing, like, you know, you've got Comics Tribe, um, mm-hmm. who are doing, like, scam, with books like Scam, where it's like, well, you know what? We're just, we're not, I'm, we're just gonna bypass everything. We're just not even gonna, like, you know, and Sam Humphreys is somebody else. It's like, yeah. I don't care what anyone's ever done before. <laughs> I'm gonna do it this way. And yeah. they're kind of starting to carve their own territory again, which is like, you know, people have got used to things being such a set way. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to see that. It's just like, you know, yeah, there's certain things like, well, yeah, you have to kind of establish yourself as a creator. Mm-hmm. And, well, how do you do that? I mean, it used to be like, you know, you look at someone like Robert Kirkman, who, yeah, he he, he did a, you know, he, he got his um, books going at Image and, you know, scraped by, but wouldn't let go and kept pushing and eventually yeah. came to notice of, to Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think more now and now, now what's going on is if you can make it, you know, thanks to the advent of like Twitter and Facebook, you can make, you know, if, if you're willing to, to spend the time and effort online, you can, you can make yourself heard. Yeah. And, um, and particularly we've got, some very good retailers in this country. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I know some of them, if you go to like on, on Twitter and just go to the, uh, comic market hashtag, that's, you know, you've got very vocal retailers like, you know, from, uh, Larry's comics, mm-hmm. um, jetpack comics who are just, you know, Jimmy J who ran the recent image expo who mm-hmm. are just, they're, they're, they're giving people their opinions. They're telling people what sells, what doesn't. You know, if you're a creator and you, you know, and you want their advice on something, you send them, you can send them a piece of artwork and they'll tell you what they, they'll tell you what they think. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all, you know, been gracious enough to give me time on the phone to talk about projects. Um, and tell me what, you know, tell me what they honestly think about them and, and have championed them, championed them on, on Twitter afterwards. So. You know, it's a very immediate thing now. I can, I can literally like tweet something to Larry and he'll tweet me right back and I can call him and five minutes later and he'll tell me what he thinks and, you know, I've got a good idea about something very quickly. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and that's the thing. If you're a creator, if you are someone who just wants to sit in your room and write your stories, um, I it's going to be very, 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 very hard for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're we're reaching an age if you've got to be very vocal, you've got to get out there. Yeah, you have to network. It's it's a necessity. Yeah, but you, and you've got to believe in your work. 
<laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like there's a lot of creators who they're so precious about it. It's kind of like they, you know, throwing it out. Like, oh, it's like bearing, you know, bearing your soul. It's it's like walking down the street naked. It's like, hey, like, what do you think? Wow. So you you had mentioned uh, Image Expo. Was um, were you there? No, no, no. Okay. Yeah. No, my uh, first, the first, the first two shows I'm doing this year are, I'm doing Boston Comic Con. Okay. Um, next month, and I'm also doing, um, the Wildcats convention down in Philadelphia. Yeah. And okay. That's great. That's that's my home city. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I've been really looking forward to that show. Um, John Shableski, who's who used to look at Diamond, has just put together an amazing list of panels. I mean, he's you know, um. It's it's really is one of those shows where you really would you you don't want to buy comics you just want to kind of sit in every single panel. <laughs> yeah, um, are they doing that at uh, Villanova? I'm, I would assume by the name. <laughs> yes, the the college. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a really nice area too. There's a big uh, comic book shop that I used to go to down there. Um, but now I'm a San Diego. Uh, San Diego in, so yeah, I've got the best of both worlds so far. <laughs> yeah, so you get the nice weather. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, Odyssey? Um, well, I it's it's difficult. See, I, I don't want to give away too much of Odyssey because <laughs> it's um, uh, one of the things I, I like doing. Um, I did this, I did a, with, working with, um, Steve Pugh and mm -hmm. Michael Town, I did a, a three issue miniseries of image called Sharp Men. Yeah. And, you know, really, I mean, it's like, it was like, it's, it was one of those things like, okay, well, we've got this story we want to tell. And, you know, we would like to do, I mean, it's one of those things where I, you know, we are all hoping that at some point we get to do more Sharp Men. Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, it was like, okay, how do we get everyone's attention in this sort of marketplace? Uh, and, you know, tell this story. Um, but, you know, being able to sort of like, you know, it's, the difficulty is always just coming out of the box, kind of seeming fully formed, giving somebody something familiar that's kind of, it's, oh, yeah, that's what, I like that. That reminds me of something else. Yeah. And then, of course, you kind of, you pull them along for a little bit, and then very quickly you undo everything you th they thought they knew. They'd make a preconceived conception because it looked similar. Mm -hmm. So with Sharp Man, it was basically, it's like anybody who got through the first, like, half of the book, it was like, it's an underwater Batman. <laughs> look, look, he's even got his Alfred. <laughs> mm -hmm. He's even got his Alfred. He's got, look, he's got an underwater, he's got an you know, underwater mobile. <laughs> And it was like, they've got the big villain and everything. It was like, oh, this is, you know, he's, he's super rich. Yes, it's Batman. It's, mm -hmm. but of course what we did is at the, you know, it's like we did all that deliberately because at the end of the first issue, we killed Shark Man. Mm -hmm. He loses <laughs> all his money's gone. It's all been stolen. That's mm -hmm. like, you find out that like about page six or eight. Mm -hmm. And then the reveal in the second issue is even the butler. It's not his butler. It was actually, you know, the original Sharp Man's um, father-in-law. <laughs> um, so the and you know Sharp Man has a son who has no idea his father was Sharp Man. Mm 
um, gets framed for the fact that all the city's money has seemingly been bled out the, the banks. So he's sent mm-hmm. to jail. Mm-hmm. So, na- so now we've got our kind of our new hero is in jail. <laughs> well, how does he get out to be sharp man? Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, what we did was, you know, um, his, his grandfather, um, and well, his father was the one who built and designed the entire city. So his grandfather has access to all the plans and the prison in particular was built to be in, in case of trouble. There was somewhere that they could actually hide. Hmm. Um, so there's actually secret doors. It's all back passages. Um, so every night when the cells lock down, um, the grandfather comes to let out the son so he can go and become sharp man to find the evidence <laughs> to free himself and clear his father's name. Mm-hmm. And, but so he has to be back by the morning. <laughs> oh, that's like Cinderella. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like a perverse Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. But the, I mean, but the, you know, it's like, I don't think I'm, I, you know, about giving, well, actually, I, I, I don't mind saying that where we were really, what the twisted part of where we were going with this is the grandfather is actually the villain. Oh. Mm-hmm. Because what it was, what the idea what, that was supposed to happen is as we go, go down the road is um, we find out that the original sharp man we see at the beginning was actually the second sharp man. Mm-hmm. His father was the original. Mm-hmm. But he was killed by this villain called the Shadow King. Um, but the Shadow King gives up being the Shadow King because his daughter marries the son of Sharpman. Now, when his daughter dies, he comes back to the he comes back to the city and starts plotting to kill the son because while he would never do it while his daughter was alive, but now she's dead. He's, he's, he's bringing his kind of business, his crime business back to New Venice. And what he wants to do is, you know, um, the new sharp man is his blood. It's his grandson. He's not going to kill him, but he's going to do something probably in a way worse. He's actually going to break, he wants to break him because by being the only person in the world he trusts, he knows exactly where he's going to be, what he's going to be doing and why. And he sets him up to fail every time in the hopes of breaking him so that he eventually becomes like him and replaces him in the family business. He wants to turn this kid into a villain. Okay. And so that's what the stories would have been about as it, as it went on. And so with Odyssey, it's, I'm, I want to do something very similar. Um, it's, you know, the, the first book will actually be, um, the history of the main character. Um, it was fun as the, the main character actually came from something I originally did as just for fun. Um, when I, when I first did the book A1, my contribution to that first issue was a seven page story called Blazing Glory. And it was kind of a fighting American Styled story drawn in the style of, you know, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, I was there, I guess I, you know, being in the right place at the right time, 
and going to San Diego early on at those times, I was actually fortunate enough to, on several occasions, to meet Jack Kirby. Wow. Wow. Um, so it was on one, it was actually after one San Diego, I actually went up to, um, after the show, They he and Roz had invited me up to the house. So I was up at the house, and then I finally got the nerve to, like, well, I, I pulled out this issue of A1 to show him, to say, like, look, you know, <laughs> what do you think of this? And it was, you know, it's, it was funny because it was, he started off going, oh, I remember this story. It was great fun. I really enjoyed writing, uh, drawing this one. <laughs> and, and, and Roz takes his arm and says, you, you didn't draw that. <laughs> and he goes, like, well, I probably laid it out. And it's like, no, 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 you didn't. You didn't. You it's, no, it's like Dave drew it. <laughs> and he was like, what? So, uh, so it was nice because actually I, I wanted, it was the only copy I had with me and I actually just wanted him to sign it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like you know and he said no 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 you sign it for me <laughs> well, um, um, so what I did was you know over the years I, I used the same character I did a, a mini series for um, Image uh, called Sharky mm. and uh, Blazing Glory was uh, one of the main characters in that story mm-hmm. um, so over the years I you know, I've been playing with the character. I'd had a few ideas for the character. And, you know, it's playing off the concept that, you know, with, I guess, the, you know, you would, a lot of people would compare him to Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, you know, the, the costumed hero uh, whose origin starts in World War Two, But his origin, believe me, is a very, 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 very different origin. It's, it's when you, when you see the first, first two pages you think yeah this is, this is exactly the same and then you see page three four five and six and you're like no it's not <laughs> and the first book is actually going to show you different parts of his life um from 1942 um to last year hmm. and if you can imagine a, a hero that is pretty much immortal He's realized whatever happened to him in 1942, he's now immortal. Yeah. And he's, he's not aging. Um, just like a comic book hero. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But he's, but but again, he's a, he's a superhero that's, um, you know, he's, he was a soldier. So a soldiers are, you know, they, they take orders. And in a reflection of the times, he's, you know, he does exactly what he's told to do. And it's only when he actually starts to question what he's supposed to do. And as the politics of the world change around him, when he re- starts to realize that there's missions he's sent on where he's actually not been told the real reason for being on that mission. Does he start to question and you start to get a sense of his importance in something that's going on at a fairly global scale, but he has no idea of it. And so they realize, they come to the impression now that, okay, well, we're going to fire him. We're going to look, he's, we're going to, you know, he's going to get, they're going to discharge him from the military. Um, but the idea is to make him disappear. And then once he's safely disappeared from the military, they're going to follow up and kill him. 
because he's a lot more powerful than he actually thinks he is, but if you can kill him quickly enough, he'll never know. Mm -hmm. um, but because you've got someone who's you know, been in the military all their life, um, he's never had a home since, since 1942. It's been military base after military base. Mm -hmm. um, he's never actually needed to spend his salary. <laughs> so he's actually a multimillionaire. <laughs> but has no idea or comprehension what that means or what it's worth because he's yeah. never had to use it. He doesn't have, you know, he doesn't even have a Walkman. He doesn't have a iPod. He doesn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so really the, the odyssey in the title is going to be, um, he's, it's, he's, he's who wants to know where he lives. He wants to know what he's fought for the last 70 years huh. and he's going to start off in Los Angeles and it's a lot of the time he's actually going to be sort of trying to, he's, he's actually searching for some of the old soldiers that he fought with some of his, you know, teammates on various units on various missions. And, you know, it's, he's going to be meeting up with someone who's in their eighties who, when they were actually in the same unit together, the guy was, was like 16, 17. Yeah. And of course, you know, Blazing Glory hasn't aged at all. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, the latest stories will tell, you know, show what's going on as far as the world's concerned. But there is actually a darker, very, very dark undercurrent, very dark story that will start to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hinted at in the first book. Um, I'm going, I, uh, the artist on the book is Gary Gastoni, who mm -hmm. did, the, I don't know if you saw The Vault. Uh, with Sam Sakar from Image. Yeah. Um, same art team. Um, uh, Sakti Wunyo is the colorist on it too. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Gary also did Super God with Warren Ellis and, yeah, and Cal, yeah, and also he did Caliber at Radical as well. <laughs> so the work he's doing is beautiful, but I'm, I'm actually doing a short story or I've done a short story with Toby Cypress. Oh, wow. Um, that will actually From, uh, be Rod Racer, right? Yep, yep, and yeah. also Blue Estate. Yes, Blue Estate as well. Yeah. Um, now that story is going to be appearing in the first Monster Massacre anthology. Oh, okay, great. Um, now I've been I've been teasing um, the Monster Massacre anthology a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I. The, the actual official Monster Mac Massacre anthology will be out in October. Nice. But, <laughs> but, but most of the contents of it will actually be appearing. There's going to be a special, a Monster Massacre special that will actually be out in July. Okay. Um, but the title of it will actually be the, um, Heavy Metal Magazine for September. Mm. We're actually going to, Monster Massacre is actually going to be the September issue of, Heavy Metal Magazine. Heavy wow. Metal? So who has the rights to the name right now? Kevin Eastman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's Kevin's magazine. So, um, I did, uh, I, I helped package, I'm working with the, the studio, Imaginary Friends Studios that did all the early radical books. They did Hercules, they did Caliber, they did City of Dust, Freedom Formula. Um, 
and also for Image, they did Fallout Toy Works. Um, uh, they did an entire issue of Heavy Metal last year that I I worked with them on and packaged for them oh, in, for September last year, which was the July's the San Diego Comic Con on sale issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was one of the best selling issues that Heavy Metal's had for a long time. Mm. So, you know, trying to sort of repeat that and by doing, you know, uh, doing a Monster Massacre issue of, of Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a very, very impressive lineup of talent for that. Um, will this be the, um, will this be the St. Diego Comic Con on sale issue as well? Yes, it will. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, we're doing last, last year we did a, um, in conjunction with DeviantArt. Oh, we okay. A, we did a, um, San Diego Comic Con exclusive cover. Okay. Um, that was by Stanley, Stanley Lau. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Stanley's gonna do, we're gonna do another San Diego Comic Con exclusive cover with DeviantArt again this year. Um, and it's again with, um, Stanley Lau. Mm-hmm. But it's Stanley Lau painting over the top of a piece of line art, a new piece of line art by Jim Storanko. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, yeah, so that's gonna be, um, that's going to be pretty. Uh, that's going to be a pretty big issue, and um, so very, very, yeah, very excited about that. And we're going to have, we'll have two other covers on that issue. Another one by the the main newsstand cover by Stanley, um, and, but we're going to be doing a direct sell market exclusive cover uh, that will be by Sammy Basri and Jessica Coline the team that's currently been uh, on Voodoo, and we're doing uh, cool. Power Girl. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so that's, and that's, that's a beautiful piece too. I'm sure. So you said you had a, um, what, what is the lineup like for that issue, um, besides the, uh, like the cover artist? Well, um, uh, the, co- the, the lineup is Mark Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, who did the, um, if you remember him from the original Aliens, very first Aliens miniseries with Mark Verheiden. <laughs> um, uh, Ron Mars and Tom Rainey are doing a story together. Oh, wow. Uh, Dave Dorman's doing a story. Okay, nice. Philip, Philip Tan's doing a story. Okay. Wow. Um, That's a quite a lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, yeah, Dave Wilkins is doing a story. Okay. Um, Andy Coon's doing a story, Firestarter, mm-hmm. he's doing a story, yeah. wow. and, and Alex Hawley. Wow. It's, uh, that is quite a lineup. <laughs> yeah. And it's all new material, it's all specially done, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's create, it's all 100% create-around, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's, because it, it, I thought, I thought it'd be great if everyone was at the show and it was like, they can do a signing for, for their character. I mean, you know, someone yeah. like Tom, right? Tom's, this will be, this is Tom's first foray into doing creator and material. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's teamed up with Ron Mars for it. Um, and, you know, I'm working with Dave Wilkins on his story. Um, we're doing a, a Sharky El Zombo uh, crossover. Nice. Um, with, with Mr. Monster. Very cool. 
but yeah, it's just it's just good. It's just good fun. I mean, yeah. you know, we wanted we wanted to do something that was you know fun for us as creators to do and um, fun to hopefully everyone to you know to enjoy and get a kick out of. I'm sure it will be. That sounds like a a must have for um, you know any fan of those creators. I'm a huge yeah. Ron Mars fan, so. <laughs> Oh, Ron Mars is fantastic. I mean, it's like yeah. his, I, you know, again, it's like, you know, with Dynamite's new series, uh, The Prophecy, that mm-hmm. Ron's going to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be totally awesome. He, he's just, he just does the whole magic supernatural thing. It's like, you know, like Witchblade, it was like, it just does that so well. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's good stuff. And then the and then what we're going to do is it'll be the same contents for the Monster Massacre collection, but we're going to add an extra 24 pages to it, and that'll be out in October. Wow, that's awesome. Um, as far as uh, Odyssey, it sounds like um, maybe uh, a lot of social issues are, are, are pretty important to your your narrative that you're presenting there. Um, <laughs> I well, guess- I think that's... It's, it's, it's actually good. it's it's the grounding. I think that yeah. you can't ignore it. You yeah, can't exactly. If, if you want to cover at all what's going on in America now, mm-hmm. you can't ignore it. You can't pretend that you know that the Occupy movement isn't happening. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's funny because I um uh the in fact actually today the last issue of Marksman came out from mm-hmm. Image and yeah. the trade trades out next month and I actually wrote a, uh, a full page a new full page story well, it's kind of like it's not so much a story it's more of an intro to the world of Marksman mm-hmm. and you know when when I you know when I first came up with the concept behind Marksman and what Marksman was um and when I was, you know, I was working with David Baxter, it was, I, I was, I was like, look, I'm, you know, this isn't going to be, I'm, this, it's not going to be nuclear weapons. The, the world's too scared to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be bio warfare. It's not going to be zombies. It's not going to be aliens coming in. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more probably close to the road. It's going to be, you know, economic collapse, um, a breakdown of society, possibly even a civil war. But it's all going to stem from civil unrest. And it was funny, we, you know, we were, it's like, this is, we, you know, this is us two years ago. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's something that I've sort of seen firsthand oh too often. Mm-hmm. And so it was nice, you know, the first chance I got when we were going to do some new material just for the trade. Um, I wanted to do something that showed, like, no, it's like, this is, this is what it is like today. People are, you know, um, people are disenchanted. They're unhappy. Yeah. yeah. Isolated. Um, not enough people, you know, it's, you know, you, because of people are made to feel that they're the only one who are, who are like that. They're the only ones that are alone. They're the only ones that can't pay their bills. Yeah. And, I just thought that's that's just so wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just like you're 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 making feel someone bad for a situation that they have nothing to do with. Yeah. Um. And so it was like, okay, I, you know, it's like, so what's what would be the repercussions of that? And you know, and I, and I, again, I wanted to show this world that 
when you would have something like this go wrong. I mean, the military are only a certain size. Mm-hmm. And so in Marksman, um, it was the military that, you know, they took control of what they could. Yeah, I would have been like, there. By the way, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. They, they yeah. take over the convention center, and I, I was a—I uh, actually met Mr. Baxter uh, last um, summer at San Diego Comic Con, and I had just been discharged from the uh, the Marine Corps. <laughs> and I read through Marksman Number One, and I was like, "This would totally be what would happen if <laughs> society collapsed right now." You know? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we we it was it was funny because um, we actually launched the book the first. Um, uh, we did a signing on the way down to San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, uh, actually at Miramar. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, that's where uh, we stationed. <laughs> right. So we did. We did a. We did a sign. Well, we we did a signing. We gave away all our comics free of charge there. Mm. Um, and we're actually we've been invited back now. Once once the oh, trades wow. are all done, we've actually been invited back to to do a signing there. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. And no, because I, I think that it's, you know, the military are the ones that, and, I, and when I, by military, I don't mean the Pentagon. I mean the actual, yeah. the guys, yeah. the soldiers, the mm-hmm. the infrastructure of the military, the ones who will actually like, no, okay, well, look, it's, you know, we're not, we can't wait into a fight. We have no chance of winning. So what we're going to do is we're just going to like do what we can and mm-hmm. pick up the pieces later. And that's what mm-hmm. kind of what Marksman's about. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting kind of like, um, <laughs> it's kind of like Logan's Run meets the road, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but you know, it's the uh, the concept behind it. I mean, we actually did a lot of research, and actually, a, a, f- a good friend of mine is actually in the um, Grand Military Complex. So it's <laughs> like, you know, it was like. Are they doing stuff like this? He goes, oh, yes, yes, yes. That's <laughs> They're actively using something like that. And I was like, really? We haven't read anything about it? And he goes, no, and you're not going to. <laughs> um, so we, most of the technology we had in actually Marksman actually exists already now. Oh, cool. And the only thing that it was funny, we, um, uh, we come up with this system called Shades where these, um, Glasses where it's like anybody in the city can actually, you know, see what's going on around. It's like an information feed constantly mm-hmm. coming on on their glasses, even to who as to who's nearby. Mm-hmm. And it was funny, like just last month, Google announced they're doing the they're about to launch their first version of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how uh, sci-fi can almost be uh, prescient in a way. You know that. Uh, you see, uh, sort of things like, uh, even back to Jules Verne and stuff like that. They, they were on the bleeding edge of science and, uh, maybe didn't even know it. <laughs> well, yeah. I think, I think it's more of the fact that I think you've got the two halves of society. You've got one that's very creative and one that's very sort of scientific. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, as, as scientists, they're kind of driven by facts. Mm-hmm. But when, you know, Everyone wants downtime. It's like watching TV, like reading a book. It's just like, you know, it's like, oh, God, I've, I've had enough of these equations. Mm-hmm. And you read a science fiction book, and it gives you ideas. You're, it's not an idea you've got to come up yeah. with yourself. Yeah, you wouldn't mm-hmm. ca- ever come up with the, this idea. Mm-hmm. But it's, a, it's the spark. 
And yeah. those, and I think that the, the science fiction authors were the ones that created that spark for the scientists to actually, to, to actually start playing with like, well, that's actually an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, I think I've, I've always, I've, I've long held the belief that, um, a lot of people tend to come up with the same ideas, some very similar ideas at the same time. Because yeah. Because we, we all the... feed at the same time. We're all, I mean, look, if you watch TV, if you watch seeing the same movies, if we're all listening to the same music, if we're, you know, if we're all on Spotify, what, mm -hmm. listening to everyone else's playlist, we're all actually getting the same input of material. That's so we're all, all, the, all the same influences. Yeah. So it's going to come, it's going to filter through, it's going to filter up. And I think that's what happens. And I think it's, you know, reflections on people's personalities is the coloring that, um, that affects stories and ideas. Cause working, you know, working as an editor publisher and actually in sort of film for quite a while, you do, you see waves of ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, with some ideas. It's, and again, coming back to this year, it's like, yeah, I, I do actually have another another project that will be coming next year that will also be um, uh, premiered in Monster Massacre, um, and it was just I. It was something where I just felt, do you know what? If I don't do this now, someone else is going to do it. <laughs> I've been developing it for a couple of years, and I was like, no, I've got to do this now. Um, so I think you do. I think you just you know, and that's part of being a creator is like you know. Don't overthink, you know, you, you, you have to, you have to plan out what you're doing. You have to develop your ideas. You have to build your world out, but don't spend too much time building it because, um, someone may just jump right in and, yeah. Kirby, did you want to say, uh, yeah, what he was Kirby? mentioning, uh, what, um, it's called a morphogenic field. Morphogenic field. Yep. Yeah, yep. there's actually studies about it. Uh, mm. If you put two set of rats, one in Australia, one in Europe, mm -hmm. um, they'll figure out the same maze eventually, and the mm -hmm. second generation will figure it out even faster without mm -hmm. even 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 if they ne never had any contact with the first generation, and so mm -hmm. on. So yeah, there's a lot of studies about that stuff. Um, well, I always thought the, I always thought the idea, it was when, when, in Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> the, the, the concept of Earth being nothing more than a supercomputer that, where we were just, we were just like, you know, in bits of information that were moving around, generating this field that would, um, solve this equation. Yeah. Um, but we were just got blown up like five minutes too early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go again. That's that's sci-fi being prescient, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, Douglas Adams did that, you know, like all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Those goggles. I mean, weren't they the same goggles that the televipers used to have on uh, GI Joe? Oh um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, Iron Man's got them. Um, in fact, the first time I remember reading about it, I actually used to work. Um, uh, uh, for Omni magazine a long time ago. And, uh, we did a piece in one issue of Omni where they were the military. And so we're going back. This has been sort of, um, mid nineties. Um, they, um, the, 
the police force were talking about putting chips. Anybody that got arrested, pretty much, hmm. anybody that got arrested would have a chip put in them. And the police officers would have the equivalent of these glasses that if you're walking around, you know, if you're driving around and you're looking down the street, the moment any of these people with a chip came into your range, um, it would come up on your glasses and you'd like, so you could look at someone and you could see their record. Jeez. But and this was, this, <laughs> this, this was getting on for 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> That's not invasive at all. Well, we have something <laughs> similar. Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> There's a couple of iPhone apps that do that right now. Uh, well, not exactly the same way, but I mean, you just put your camera and you just uh, turn around and it'll tell you everything about all the restaurants and all the all the bars and everything. Yeah, that yeah well, that's what to. Google, I mean, that's pretty much what Google Map is now. It's mm -hmm. like they've been, you know, you, you know, if you, op if you open up Google Maps and it'll, you know, they'll tell you, you, you've actually can click it. You can just, what do you want to know? Do you want to know where the restaurants are? And they just, they're all there. They're all, you can literally walk down and walk down live and see, you know, pull up menus and that's, that's, that's what we're going to be, you know, constant information feed. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so right now your company, you're just going to publish, uh, I would say, um, like, uh, your current company is called, if I'm not mistaken, Benaroya Publishing, well, right? Well, actually, well, let me back up and let you t uh, if I talk a little bit about myself, it's like mm -hmm. I, 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 with Michael Benaroya, started Benaroya Publishing, mm -hmm. but, and yes, I'm officially the editor-in-chief, okay. but I also did The Vault with um, Sam Sakar, which was not part of Benaroya Publishing. Okay. Um, I've do various projects. I also did heavy metal, the special last year. I'm doing a special this year. Um, Benaroya Publishing is actually my, is a client of mine. Okay. What I what I actually do is I kind of you know I, I professionally world build for people. Um, you know, people come to me with a project or projects, and I give my advice, um, and if they listen to it and they want me to work further with them. I help them not just develop it for comics. Comics is just one aspect of it. I help them build out the world. I help them create a fully, like, well, here's the world. Here's the past. Here's the present. Here's the future. Here's the characters. Here's what they do, why they do. Here's their relationships between each other. Here's, but here's the whole world. I, you know, it's like, well, what's going on in China? Yeah, we know. I mean, like with Marksman, yeah, we know what's going on in the rest of the world. I'm not going to tell anyone yet. But we've worked that all out. You know, it's, I went into Marksman with the idea that I saw it as, you know, it's, it's King Arthur. You've got, um, Drake McCoy starts out, we show him very early on the very first issue. He's a loner. He's the guy who's out on his horse. He's with the dog. He goes on these missions by himself. He's the one guy who does it all by himself. And by the end, he's a leader of men. And, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the kind of biggest for Drake, not the world of Marksman, but for just for Drake's story, it's very much, um, he is like King Arthur. He, it's, his mission is to let's reunite the country. Let's pull this place, pull this, pull everything back together again. 
let's you know let's try and unify it let's try and at least get everyone talking to each other and being civil and let's try and you know build ourselves back up again that's his mission it's kind of a moses king arthur story Mm -hmm. um but that's what i do i you know i build it up i just go okay well because often, you know, particularly with Hollywood, they, they tend to just think of the screenplay. It's like, here's a screenplay for this story. And I tend to look through it and I'm going like, okay, well, you know, what if, what about a sequel? Oh, well, you know, it's like, wow, I'm sure we can write, get, we'll get someone to write one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but wouldn't it be nice if you actually fleshed out the world enough where you could actually, without it being, without you tripping over it, without actually doing lots and lots of setup, you could actually sow the seeds of a sequel without anyone knowing. Mm-hmm. It's all there without actually dis- detracting away from anything. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of what I do. And it's like you know you know if you do you know what if you add these touches to it, it works great as a video game. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's those aspects to it. It's like creating something that could work as a video game. Like something like Marksman would be a fantastic video game. Yeah. Um. But it, you know, it's, I, we've worked out the video game aspects and the greater narrative all at the same time. Um, in fact, actually, we just, I just found out just today, um, the 3D ch- channel 3Net, um, they're actually going to do a 3D motion comic of Marksman oh, to wow. be broadcast on 3Net. Yeah, that's awesome. So they're going to serialize it break it up into sort of like, you know, half hour chunks mm-hmm. and then later on release it as 3D DVD. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying because I feel um, maybe a screenplay only only gives you the, the uh, framework for a story and it's up to maybe a director or a producer or something to kind of flesh out the world around it like you, you would think with like um something like uh uh i guess i would say like a blade runner that was kind of like um you know ridley scott and um philip all k. of dick. his yeah philip k dick kind of um you know this world that was it was more than just the story that was being told well, yeah, that's what I love. I love sort of like peeling back things where it's, you know, you, you, you put someone in a world where you kind of like, you'd love to be able to like, can we freeze? Can I pause, hit pause here? And while we've hit pause, can we go around that corner? Cause I, I, I just got a glimpse of what's, I, I actually <laughs> want to know what's around that corner. Yeah. It's like this, the world's interesting enough and there's enough to it that, yeah, I want to take a look. I want to, I want to go and it's all that character over there. It's like, where did they come from? Um, and the, those to me are, are, are the best, best projects where you actually kind of, where even if someone's only got two lines, they say so much with those two lines. They're not, it's not just the case of, oh, well, we need someone to tell this character to go over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just put someone there. It's like, you know, you, you can create in just a few word, lines of dialogue something that sort of can add something to the narrative that actually sort of fleshes out somebody and it, and it doesn't, it's, it, it doesn't take, you know, it's not super science, but it just, just that little bit of care or attention just makes it the, what you're doing that little bit more believable. So back to, um, 
Benaroya. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. So anyway, uh, so that's, it's it's just one, you know, I work with Michael Benaroya, um, and we were actually just talking today about some, some new projects we want to do. Um, but again, it's like, you know, I'm working with heavy metal, and I work for myself, so... Mm-hmm. And I'm like a, I'm like a lot of other people who are making sort of a, the projects I've been working on that I'm really deciding now. Like now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do them now. They're actually they're coming out now. It's time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Odyssey will be. Who's publishing Odyssey? Um, I'm currently planning to self-publish. Self-publish. Um, okay, great. I published before under Atomica, and I, I'll probably yeah. I'll probably use Atomica again mm-hmm. um, to publish Odyssey and. Um, there's another project I'm doing simultaneously that I might, I've been toying with the idea of actually just doing a, a, a single comic with two strips in so that I can actually, it'll be easier for me as a publisher and as a creator to put them both in a single magazine, mm-hmm. single comic and, and, you know, keep them both on a kind of a monthly schedule. Mm. Okay. So what, uh, you're still active um, with uh, uh, Radical as well, or? Um, well, yeah, I was actually talking to Barry Levine today. Okay. Um, uh, because we've got, you know, um, Oblivion goes into production tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And with Tom Cruise, um, I don't know if you saw Variety. It's The Rock has signed on now to Hercules. Um, so he's going to be Hercules, and mm-hmm. Brett Ratner's directing, and that's going into production in October. Oh, that's, that's great. Good. Um, Last Days of American Crimes looks like we've found a director for it. Yeah, that's been um, that's been optioned for a, a while now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it looks so. You know, Barry was saying it looks like there's going to be four films in production by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. That's great. I just, I love to see. Um, comic book movies that aren't, you know, uh, they're not necessarily what you would you, um, equate to comic book conventions, you know? Well, I mean, it's that's what, you know, we, we strove for. I mean, when, you know, when I first developed Hercules, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to do something that was a lot more grounded. And so I, you know, often instead of, you know, you one of the things about when you're developing a project and you're you know, um, producing a project, it's always best if you can actually find, you know, you create over the years, you actually have a kind of a, a Rolodex in your head of, you know, creators, but also what those creators really want to do. Mm-hmm. Not just what they've done, but what they actually they want to do. The projects that you know, well, yeah, we could go with sort of some, maybe a bigger name creator, but, this 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 has got to be a big project. This has got to be awesome. And so with with Hercules, I went to Steve Moore because um, I think it was I think it was Alan, Alan Moore once said to me. He said um, Steve Moore's like the only person who if if you had if Steve Moore was sitting at home, he knows the British Museum so well that he could actually give you a guided tour with you on your cell phone. And he could tell you which direction to travel and walk around the British Museum and tell you what you were looking at. Well, um, so with with Steve, and it was great that, again, I, I don't know, I won't know until they actually start shooting exactly what version of the script they're going to be using for the film. Yeah. But 
currently it's a, a version that's very faithful to what Steve did. Oh, that's great. Um, and, you know, they're, they're shooting in New Zealand. Um, uh, and I hope they, you know, I hope they follow sort of Jim Steranko's and Weta's designs for it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that turns out. Last Days of American Crime, too, that that was one of my favorite um, uh, miniseries of the last few years. It was great. I'm a huge Rick Remender fan, too, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like having my cake and eating it, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and that was a, that was a really beautiful book. You know, yeah. Rick's artwork is gorgeous on that. <laughs> Good. So, yeah. um, Dave... Yeah. Uh, what do you think of uh, Moebius passing? I'm very, very upset. Um, I've, I was actually, again, I was very lucky enough to work, to met. I met with him several times and actually got to work with him once. Um, the anthology I uh, I did a one with Gary. Um, in our full and our fourth issue, we actually had a fairly big section. Of Mobius's artwork in, um, and he was very, very kind enough to. He actually lent me his one of his sketchbooks, um, and it was a beautiful little thing. And it was, it's like if you ever see it's issue four of A one, if you ever get to see it. Mm-hmm. And we printed. You, you, you won't notice from looking at it, but you'll see we printed his sketchbook almost actual size. Wow. And it was the the sketchbook was literally it was like two by three inches <laughs> wow. and he was doing and he would everything he would have these little tiny drawings he would fill on every page and so he she said look send it you know scan this in you know send it back when you're done um and then uh he did a, a meta baron story which because we were black and white and he'd drawn it originally you know he was pl- thinking about it as color and i said we're a black and white so well do, do you mind if i tone it put some tones in so he goes like fine yeah okay interested so i got to tone it and add tones to it and he loved it we it was oh, wow. yeah so it was it was a shame i mean we we'd actually talked about doing something because he liked the effect so much mm-hmm. that we were actually talking we talked about doing something larger but it was like i didn't <laughs> i was too ner- it was too nervous to keep to bother him oh man i bet <laughs> oh, it's like you know it's it like was... someone like mobius it's like you just like you know, it's not someone you keep hassling. Say, hey, we're yeah. not that story. It's like, no, come on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, yeah. I've got a question here, and you don't have to answer that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I've heard and from what I've seen, actually, in the live interviews, he might have been a little bit difficult. Am I wrong there, or was he, like, a super nice guy? Um. Again... I never lived with him. <laughs> I, you know, I met him a few times. Um, he was always super nice. I mean, everyone's got a, another side to them. Everyone's, you know, we've, I think one of the things about this world today is that because we're so in touch with people all the time, we can, you know, you can, you know, if you follow a, a, a creator on Twitter, you, you know what they like to, watch they know you know what they like to eat you know what they like to drink you know what hours they keep by the time they post you know where they're posting pictures of their backyards <laughs> so 
you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult not to know a lot. But the one thing that all of these things don't tell you is what that person's like to live with. Okay. Um, and so I, you know, I have no idea. Okay. Um, so I, I, I know that he was always gracious with his time. Um, uh, always, you know, and again, it's like, I think that if he was difficult at all, I think part of that is the genius. Yeah. It's like, it's really, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, artists in particular more, even probably even more than writers are very, um, can be very temperamental. It's, you know, they're very like some of the best artists are, you look at their work and you go, Oh my God, this guy's fantastic. And yet when you talk to them, they're self deprecating. They're like, Oh God, now I, I tried so long to get that right. And it was like, Oh, it just sucks. And it's just like, and it's like, you're kidding. Right. And, and they actually hate it. If you keep telling them it looks great, they actually don't like it because they're going like, because they don't, they don't want to hear it. They, in their eyes that, you know, they suck and they're never going to be as good as the person they're comparing themselves to. And, and that person is a huge fan of theirs. And yeah. Mm-hmm. When, uh, I, I guess, um, what, what kind of impact did, did his passing have on, um, you know, the, the heavy metal community? Um, I, well, I think there's still that impact still happening. I think that it's mm. unfortunately, you know, we are in a world where, you know, we only, we're only reminded of certain things when someone passes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of, I, I think someone was kind of got upset with me on a, on, on a message board. I was on the bleeding call message board and, um, I'd made a comment about, you know, someone had, someone started talking about this, you know, getting the silver surfer back into print and doing a deluxe version of it and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, at first I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, well, hold on a second. I mean, it's nice. Silver surfer, but it is nice. I mean, anything he did was nice. His, yeah. his, nap- his napkin drawings were nice, <laughs> but come on, we want the Incal. We want airtight garage. We want, and mm-hmm. let's, let's get someone like Scott Dunbeer to do a, an airtight garage artist edition, mm-hmm. not silver surfer. Yeah, that's not the best work at all. It's not. It's like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, and it's, and if that's going to be your entry drug into the world of Mobius, great. Mm-hmm. And if someone said, yeah, we've got to get it back into print. Sure. If, if you're putting that back into print and all his ink out books and the airtight garage, you know, Arzac, great. Love it. More yet yeah, blueberry, you know, blueberry's never fully been printed in this country. <laughs> So, yeah, um, yeah, but just to be led by like, you know, it's like, I think someone had volunteered to do like, oh, well, we're going to, I'll, I'll get the Silver Surfer and I'll do all those Marvel pinups he did and, and I'll put that in there and I'm going like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> I mean, if, if it's like you've got, it's, it's like, well, you know, the yeah. guy's a genius. The it's guy not the best work, yeah. Great genius. His, his duel, his personal work was personified him. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you want to do a great collection of that? Why would you yeah. want to do some some of his Marvel work? And I'm sorry, it's like <laughs> Stan Lee was not the the biggest creative genius behind Marvel. It <laughs> was you no, know, it was the artist. It was Steve Ditko, Jack Kirby, Jack Kirby, yeah. Jack Kirby particularly. And yeah. it was like, and he fed off that. He fed off their genius. <laughs> and you know, Stan did what he did best, which was 
well, <laughs> what he did best was taking credit for everybody, but what... <laughs> we what talked he, about that before, actually. Yes. <laughs> what, what he, he actually agree with you on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I think it was, what was it? I think when they did, when Marvel did the 2099 line, Stanley wrote a book called Ravage. Yeah, Sam, yeah. Sam, yep, that's what it was, Ravage 2099. Yeah, now, I'm sorry. If Stan was the genius that everyone, you know, the world seems to think he's, he is at the moment, hmm. where's the Ravage movie? Where's yeah. the Ravage TV show? Where's, you know, why isn't Ravage the biggest selling book at Marvel right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, his, I mean, I, you know, it was like that whole DC line where it was like Stanley created DC Universe. It was like, yeah. he had great artwork, but boy, they were stinkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's totally true, yeah. Um, so, you yourself, I mean, since you're of British background, don't, like, isn't it easy for you to get those books that you mentioned? Because for me, it's, obviously, as you probably noticed, I'm a French Canadian, so yeah. for me, all of those books, <laughs> I can get them wherever I want, whenever, right? Well, so, it's, no, I mean, don't forget, I mean, we're, the, the UK is very reliant on the books, if, if you want them in English, you're pretty much going to have to get, you know, it's only when a, a US publisher does them at the same time. It's very rare to do just an English only edition. Okay. So, um, okay. But I mean, I have, I have them all. I still have them all from, um, you know, Epic, you know, Epic did do under Archie Goodwin. They did a very good, they reprinted all the art, you know, there was like a beautiful oh, wow. collection of his books. That's good. Um, so I still have, I mean, again, it was like, look, if Marvel really cares about Mobius, if Marvel cares about anybody, they could, they could put all of those books into print. They could say like, let's, yeah, let's reprint all of those. Let's do them all as nice, gorgeous hardbacks. Mm-hmm. And the Silver Surfer can be one of them. Okay. The, the reason I'm asking uh, is, uh, Arczak is, I mean, there's no, if I'm not mistaken, there's no words in it. So no. that one is easy to find. I mean, you can read oh, yeah, it yeah, whichever yeah. version. No, there's, no, and there was, there's actually a, there's a couple of, um, there's um, one in particular, very good French bookstore in the middle of London. Um, okay. but they are, I mean, yeah, I mean, but again, it's like, it's, it's not difficult to get to Paris actually when you're, when you're living in England. It's oh, you can get them in Montreal too. <laughs> yeah. You can get them in Montreal, Canada and they're cheaper too. <laughs> yeah. And there is, and, and again, you know, they, there are, there are some, some of the some really nice comic book stores in London, like Gosh, who you know has a lot of the European books that you can always like you know find in his store, or they'll order them for you. Okay. Like, so they're they're not they're not hard to get hold of, but if you want to actually read them in English, they are. Yeah, but if you're looking for them in French, at, well, if you if you don't mind the French version, which you can also go on uh, Amazon.ca. Right. It's basically the same Amazon, except they have a French uh, section, which is a, as good as any. They're basically a Canadian uh, bookstore, um, so uh, yeah. so yeah. they have all all of those books are all easy to find in Montreal and the province mm-hmm. of Quebec. Easy to find, like you just go online and buy. Them. I mean, that's how I get mine. But obviously, for me, mm-hmm. it's not an issue. <laughs> I mean, oh, the version that's oh, reviewed yeah. at the bin is the French version. I, I still have, um, I still have all my. Um, the epic books, and I've got a lot of the, um, a lot of the old heavy metals that mm. he did, what he had stories in. And in actually, I've so... got, in fact, actually, I've got right next to me on my wall is, um, 
uh, a, a huge print that he did with Jeff Darrow. Mm. Yeah, his student. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I'll have to uh, I'll have to order Rosetta Stone and uh, Link Owl <laughs> at the same time from Amazon. <laughs> well, when you're ready, Dan, let me know. I mean, uh, uh, maybe I should. I, I guess I should probably write an article about that. Which movie is how, how to how to get your Mobius collection? Yeah, uh, you should. I mean, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> obviously for me, there's so I mean, for because in the in the French comic book community, there all of that stuff is classic stuff, right? So they're yeah, just yeah. like your they're like your old Kirby stuff. So whenever whatever bookstore you go in Montreal, everything is there. So, I mean, if you're an American, you go to Montreal, it's like, I don't know, from New York, it's like eight hours from Boston, six hours or something, very close mm -hmm. by. You just go, every bookstore in Montreal, they have a whole floor dedicated to comics. And they usually get all of those books that you just mentioned, including all the other classics from uh, like Tintin and all those books. Uh, everything is there. I mean, you don't, you don't even have to search. The only problem is that they're in French. <laughs> but then they're the well, originals. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only any difference. Any excuse to go to Montreal is uh, okay <laughs> with me because that that is an awesome city. So uh, yeah, for, so for me, I mean, even though I don't live in Montreal anymore, I just order them uh, in some store in Montreal and they just ship them to my place in Calgary, mm -hmm. and uh, that's it. So all of those books, well, again, I'm a francophone, so yeah. it doesn't count. <laughs> I'm cheating. Yeah. <laughs> No, but there is. I mean, it's it's all it's beautiful material, and it is. Just, yeah. So, um, just uh, I'd like to know your opinion on a few things. Uh, I mean, um, I came back from Asia, as uh, well. Some of the readers may know, and obviously Dan knows. And right. uh, over there, I, I, whenever I go someplace, I try to find out what's the local comic book scene over there. Yeah. Um, so the first country I did was um, uh, Thailand, and I discovered a few things, and a couple of under, uh, alternative comic books, and I even contacted those guys and so on, and, and that got me into a whole series of articles, including the world's longest comic book. And then I went to Malaysia, and there I discovered even more comics. Um, not sure if you're familiar with the the Kampung Boy. Have you ever read or heard about that one? Um, doesn't ring a bell. It's, um, it's one I of know, those I mean, classics. It's, 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 it's been right. translated. It's been translated. It's been there since right. the 1970s. That's why I was asking. Right. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's interesting how you've got with, you know, when the, when there was the big manga explosion, um, it, there was this, there was this thing like it had to be manga. <laughs> no, you know, it couldn't take manhwa or anything. It had to be manga. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I by no means an expert on manhwa, but I've seen enough of it that there's some fantastic material that yeah. I think would, you know, we could do really well here in the United States and even in Europe if it was translated and, and published there. Um, and, you know, Malaysia, I mean, there was, there was just a, you know, I, I work with, uh, Imaginary Friends Studios. That are based in Singapore and Jakarta, huh. and um, they just had you know all the guys from the Jakarta studio were um, at the uh, Jakarta Comic Convention just this past weekend. Wow! 
I would have liked to be there. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, we're, we're actually trying to cover uh, that kind of comics. Um, I've, I've kind of went down uh, my DC Marvel articles, and I'm just focusing on, on cool stuff, which I think is way more interesting. Well, the, it's it's not only just the world market; it's the world history market. I mean, you look at the you know the I think probably it's probably actually the French are probably the have the best um, historically collected material of what's you know that's been produced in the past and is still to a certain extent available. Um, but you know, in the UK, I mean, there's there was some. Fantastic material that was that's been that was published through from the fifties through to the seventies. Um, some amazing illustrators, um, you know, Ron Embleton, who actually later on did Wicked Wonder and Sweet Chastity for Penthouse magazine. Um, he was he used to do you know Captain Scarlet and Stingray from based on the Jerry Anderson TV shows in a, a weekly comic called TV Twenty One. And it's this amazing, beautiful, sumptuous artwork. And you think like, you know, and I think that I look at that and that was a comic that was produced for me as a six-year-old. I'm looking at this fantastic artwork by people like Ron Embleton, um, Frank Bellamy. I don't know if you're familiar with Frank Bellamy. He did a, no. he did a, um, he used to do the Thunderbirds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But he also did, later on, he also did a newspaper strip that he's probably more famous for, um, Garth, in um, the, da um, the Daily Mirror. It was a, a time-traveling kind of hero who um, he would, like, literally, like, he would literally, like, pass out and his spirit would go to another time period. Hmm. Um, so it was basically, it was like Frank Bellamy getting to do, like, a Western one story, he'd do a Roman centurion story the next, he'd do a science fiction story the time after that. Um, um, very cool. But it, again, it was this amazing artwork. And I think that he reflects like you, I look at that and it was like the best artists were doing the material for, for six to 10 year olds. <laughs> and what it's become now is the best artists are all doing the stuff for the sort of the 30, 40 year olds. And it's kind of like everyone, every, all the kids are just like, oh, well, it's, you know, you're a kid, so we're going to do this in a cartoony, sort of really open, very open, clean, non-detailed non style. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's the problem we have in comics today is that, you know, it, everyone says, oh, we're not, we're not producing comic, we're not writing down or we're not, you know, drawing down for kids, but you are. Mm -hmm. You you know why isn't Brian Hitch drawing a Marvel Adventures story for for a younger audience? I mean, in, in fact, actually, that's the problem. It's, it's like there's a Spider-Man. There is different Spider-Man books. It's like the the Amazing Spider-Man comic should be accessible if you're six or sixteen. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like it was when when yeah. I was a we kid, were kids. When you were yeah. a kid, and, and yeah. I think that and I think that the one thing you can do is if you want to produce a, a kind of a, a comic that you're not going to put on the newsstand, but it's going to be sort of a, if you want to have more edgy stories, if it's like the drug stories or something that you feel needs to be a little bit more violent, a bit more scary, you can do that as a, you know, a special, you know, 
that's when you go into a more mature format, but it's still in the same world, it's still the same character, but that's where you put your, like, an edgier story. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you know, the moment you keep saying, well, it's like, okay, well, this Spider-Man's for sort of six-year-olds. The six-year-olds know that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want it. They want the other one. They want the one that Big Brother's draw, you know, reading or something. That's the Spider-Man. It's, it's just in, inherently just, that's the way they are. You can't, you can't keep producing all these different lines for different ages because they don't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You, you know, it's, um, I'm doing a, a, a young adult graphic novel that's aimed for kind of 12 up. Mm -hmm. But I know that, you know, I, um, uh, librarians I've spoken to who have already sort of seen some of the artwork and have read the story, they know that they can actually give it to sort of maybe a nine, ten year old. Yeah. Um, because, but you know, it's like, it's once you know the person who's going to be reading it, you know what they can, they, they know how much you're going to get because they, because if I say it's for nine up, then seven year olds want to read it. And it's not appropriate for seven year olds. So by saying it's 12, you're really saying it's like for nine up. <laughs> giving yourself like a buffer. <laughs> well, you have to do that. Yeah. You have to yeah. do that. I mean, yeah. it's like, you know, you know, the, the first Harry Potter book, my, my, my daughter, she was, when the first Harry Potter book came out, she, um, um, uh, she was seven when she read the first Harry Potter book. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of, you know, uh, uh, you've got something that's really supposed to be for sort of 10, 11 year olds at, at that time. And it was to grow with them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's, that's an interesting thing about the Harry Potter books that you can actually look at, um, the comics industry where I think that the, the thing I've always felt about the comics industry and what actually has hurt it time and time again is that the people in power within the comics community in, in charge of the publishing companies mm -hmm. have aged the characters as they got older. Mm -hmm. They, yeah. as it goes along, they personally would like, yeah, no, we should do, oh, it'd be great if we should do a story like this. And, oh yeah, well let's, let's like, oh yeah, this, this character who, when we first started out was teenager now, yeah, let's have him married and let's have him have a kid. Mm -hmm. And that's when you suddenly go, oh shoot. So how, how are we going to get back? How are we mm -hmm. going to sort of, make all that disappear all of a sudden because we've now got a movie coming out where he's a teenager. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, it actually shows that, you know, there is this constant pressure to just recycle old ideas. Um, I mean, there's, there's definitely a trend of that every few years there's a <laughs> a recycling process, you know? Yeah. Well, Herbie, I'd, I'd be interested in your opinion because, you know, coming from, like, you've just come back from Asia where it's yeah. the, the thing that I always, that appealed to me about the mentality of particularly like Japan is to its creative community is, you know, it's a real partnership between the publisher and the creator of project. Mm -hmm. um, in that if I create something and the publisher wants to publish it, um, I, I'm, I supervise it. I'm the creator of it. I either draw it or I have a team I supervise to draw it. The publisher publishes it. But when I've had enough, when I say that strip ends and I've come to the end of the story, it ends. That's it. Done. 
The publisher doesn't go, oh, well, we're going to get somebody else to draw it now. <laughs> yeah. It stops. Yeah. And they look around for something else, or they look, hopefully, you've got a new idea that you want to give them instead. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, I think, that it's, it, that keeps it constantly fresh. Mm-hmm. I think Rather, they probably have so, a... Sorry about that. No. They probably have a better mentorship system for new artists also. So, like, they'll probably bring in some, some uh, junior artists along on a strip, work with them a couple of years, and then when that artist is, like, just come out of age, can go on and do his own thing. So then they always have, like, a renewal in terms of uh, who can create stuff. Uh, they probably also have a, a respect for the past work as well, though. Yes. Well, that's because, that's see, but that's also because the, um, you know, in, in Japan it's like it's, You know, it's like, okay, we've got this weekly comic and you've got to do 20 pages a week. Mm-hmm. And there's no, is, I, I, I'm sure there's one or two Japanese artists that can do that, but it's usually like, okay, well, I, you know, having a studio. And yes. the thing about having mm-hmm. a studio, and as you said, the mentorship program, it's like, you know, it, you go back to what Will Eisner had, you go back to what Joe Simon and Jack Kirby had, mm-hmm. which is you had a place where, yeah, you might start off just spotting blacks and inking and, but you're, you work your way up. And you learn, and you learn the shortcuts, but you're learning it from, it's like, it's like doing an apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen anymore. No. Yeah. No, it I mean, it's, it, it is, you know, the, it's a shame, but it's like, you know, that studio system does work. It's, um, and it, it's a good thing. I mean, it's, I'm not saying that every, it's good for everyone, but I think that, you know, the, the studio system is, it's a good idea and it's a shame we've lost it. Well, it's funny because uh, we were talking to Jim Zub last week, and uh, I guess that's kind of how Udon Studio yes. operates. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it seems to be working fantastically for it's them. It's working very well for him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what would you say is different in, the, in that kind of studio system versus the other, like, uh, Gaijin studios, where all the guys are about the same age, same caliber, Um, but basically they just share space mostly. Yeah, they just share a space. And I, but again, even see the, the, the advantages to a sharing space like that is you've, you've got a group of people who kind of, you get a sort, there's a community spirit amongst the artists so that you kind of, you know, you can talk to someone about ideas. You can feed off someone's enthusiasm. You know, when you've got a group of people that are all heading, put the head down working and you feel like more like working rather than flaking off. Um, so it can be very kind of like something that really gets you moving, mm-hmm. but being able to sort of, you know, like if someone does, does something a certain way and you go, Oh wow, I never thought about doing it that way. It is, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a more, you know, mentorship by osmosis. It's like you're kind of, you're getting ideas from other people, but not in a direct apprenticeship system yeah um but again it's ultimately it's more of a dead end than a studio system is because a studio you know you're constantly refreshing artists leave they want to start up their own studios or just strike out on their own that's uh super interesting what you're saying there so yourself in your own experience have, have you ever run any type of studio like that Not run, but I work, uh, I work very closely with the imaginary friend studios. Um, uh, we 
right now, um, we did, as I said, we did all the early radical books. Um, we did the heavy metal book last year. We did, um, for image, we did fallout toy works. Um, we did a NASCAR book that I believe is actually going to be coming out soon from DC comics. Um, we do voodoo, uh, and power girl before that. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, you know, we were, um, Sunny Go was the colorist on, um, Hawk, Savage Hawkman. Um, a lot of work on, uh, for Top Cow, a lot of work for Marvel, you know, like, you know, it's, I mean, Mark Silvestri loves Sonny's coloring. So, you know, he, Sonny was coloring the Hulk. Um, so yeah, so it's a studio system. It's like, you know, it's, um, they often, you know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, you keep to your deadlines because, you know, if you're running into problems, you've got other people that can come over and give you a hand. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really, uh, something valuable, especially now. I think before the, the, the new 52 launched, that was really becoming an issue with, uh, missed deadlines, even in mainstream comics, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, we, um, we took over on Power Girl with issue 13 and it was, I think it was, it was, uh, it was like a month behind when we started. Yeah. And, and we pulled it up to the point we were ahead. We never once, we were never late one issue, one issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the same for Voodoo. It's, you know, you've, we're, we're just wrapping, we're just wrapped issue eight. Um, and still we've, you know, we've never missed an issue. We've never had to bring in a fill in artist. Um, <laughs> I, I love that fast. Power Girl series. I mean, uh, the drawings were, wow. I really like that series. I mean, it looks so good. Yeah, there was a uh, Power Girl. Power Girl. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it was, I think that, um, it was, uh, Sammy, Sammy gave us, gave, um, the DCU a, a powerful and sexy looking power girl <laughs> without her being kind of like, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it, I think that, you know, um, Jimmy, what Jimmy and Amanda did was great. Um, and kind of had run its course. I mean, I don't think you can really do kind of, you know, more than 12 issues of, of taking her in that direction. <laughs> and I think she needed to, you know, it's, you, you can't keep it as a running joke. It was kind of it become a, a joke character, and I think what was interesting is if you if you look at this, it's a shame that um, we couldn't have had longer on Power Girl because if you actually looked at the sales, um, we took over the book when it was in a very very steep decline, mm-hmm. and the sales just leveled out immediately, mm-hmm. and we actually we actually were starting to pull back. We're actually starting to pull in more fans. Um, I believe that that was one of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a beautiful comic book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of it was it was a shame. Right? I think that you know, if it, if we'd had a chance to sort of like if they'd said, okay, well, look, we'll give it a two month break, and then relaunch Power Girl from number one, really more in, in, integrating her into the DCU, which they did, 
And again, it was funny at the time because I don't, you know, I was never, you know, it was, I, I hadn't been a big DC reader for a long time. So it was like, you know, I'm reading these scripts and I'm going like, I get it. I, I can actually go, oh my God, I can read a, you know, a DC comic without having to know what else is going on. <laughs> um, That's a brand new. <laughs> yeah. And it was great. It was, you know, um, you know, Chuck Winnick was writing it and he, he did a, he did a great job. It was like, those stories were great. And I think that, you know, Judd and Sammy was, was a, were a great team. Um, so Voodoo, um, that one is a little bit difficult to get at stores. It's, it's kind of funny saying that because it's a DC comics, but they don't seem to order more copies, extra copies of it every, every time I go there. So it turns out that I've got the first issue and I've never seen any other issue after that. Oh, um, it's, it's funny now for me personally, I, I look at Sammy's artwork and I, I don't think of it as, I mean, it, despite what everyone saw in the first issue of Voodoo with her being a stripper in the first few pages, <laughs> I don't, you know, it's like, you know, Sammy just does It's beautiful, clean artwork. He draws yeah. really nice, sexy women, but not, you know, it's not like pin-up girl sexy. It's just, they're just, you know, he draws women very well. <laughs> And I, it's like, and maybe it's just the clean art style, but I kind of, there's a kind of a Mila Manara quality mm. in a way to his work. That's it's a lot smoother. It's that really nice open, When you see his work without the coloring on, Jessica's does a wonderful job of coloring um, his line art. But when you see his clean line artwork, it just reminds me of something like Mila Manara. And I just, I, I just think that once DC gets into its kind of foreign rights program, personally, what I've seen before, I, I think that with the clean style, the clean, um, uh, it's well done it's it's kind of it could you can read it by itself i think it would do f well in europe um mm -hmm. you know it's not that sort of over, it's not that it's not over exaggerated artwork you know when superman appears you know or green lantern it's you know it's not sort of these v-shaped characters they look they look human and i think that i think that would do well internationally yeah mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, I guess uh, we should probably start, uh, I guess, concluding this. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a good segue. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, I, have call, I have to call you out on that every time now. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you have on your schedule right now? Uh, I know you mentioned the, the conventions, but like, what's coming out from uh, all of the projects you're involved with like, in the near future? Well, we just, um, well, just recently what we've had was we had, um, the red spike, the vault trades, um, the samurai's blood trade, um, the marksman trades out next month. Um, and those are two, uh, just to make sure. So people know they're two, which publisher exactly? Those? Oh, they're all through image. They're all okay. through image. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the vault, by the way, is, um, Uh, it's been, um, in fact, the, the contracts were just signed last week. Finally, it was optioned a while ago, but it was contracts were all signed last week for, 
um, the producer Graham King wants to make Ooh. it as a feature film, horror really? film, which he's going to co-produce with Johnny Depp's company, Infinite Nile. Hmm. Um, so that's great. Um, and as I said, with Marksman, we're going to do the, the 3D motion comic that's actually going to be broadcast on TV. Um, uh, what else is coming up? Um, well, again, it's, you know, I'm, my focus right now is also on, you know, getting this heavy metal monster massacre issue done. Um, I'm, I have the, the Odyssey, which has, I've got the first graphic novel written. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, Gary Gaston is, I'm watching the artwork coming in every day for that. Um, I have another project that I'm not, not quite ready to announce yet, but it will be announced probably in the next week or so. Um, there'll be more of a kind of, it's the young adult project I'm doing, but I think that it'll do, um, I think that they'll, it'll be, they'll do well in, in the direct sale market. Um, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of publishing, a few things that I'm, I'm working on that I, unfortunately I can't say at this particular stage. Um, now to secrecy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, it, it's like, I don't want to announce something until kind of that's like, you know, this industry is, you know, unfortunately it's notorious for, you know, hey, it's good today and gone tomorrow. Um, yeah. so until contracts are signed and that sort of thing that I, you know, but suffice to say, it's looking like a busy year for me. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> as soon as you get uh, the press releases at the bin, that's all I care. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and actually one thing I was just going to mention is that, um, I'm a, a strong believer. I mean, this is like, you know, I have Jim's up to think for this. Um, you know, it's just like kind of following his lead a little bit. It's, um, We've, uh, we currently have Samurai's Blood, Red Spike, um, my old image series Sharky, and this Friday we launch Marksman on Keenspot. So if you go to keenspot.com, oh, um, and then next month we've got Red Spike, and then we're actually doing a Monster Massacre, um, uh, mini site on Keenspot as well. Okay. That's great. So you guys will be serializing the older issues? Um, the series. It's, well, it's not so much, a, it's what I'm using the monster. It's like, there's a lot of different creators I know who have done like short stories that kind of mm -hmm. fit under that main sort of umbrella. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it'd be a great way for sort of like, you know, I've been talking to Michael Gilbert about some Mr. Monster stories. Um, been talking about Dave Wilkins about a home for his, um, El Zombo stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there's stories I've done with Simon Bisley that I'm going to use it for. Um, <laughs> tease, tease a couple of the stories from the heavy metal book mm -hmm. there. Um, and it's just, I think that these days it's just the more I can, you know, someone gets to see something before they make that purchase, you know, it's like, it's, you know, there's just, there's just so many books around. So if you can actually give someone a free taste and say, look, this is what it, here it is, mm -hmm. put it online. And of course, you know, you you know you're giving away three pages a week. Well, if if people like it, by the end of the second week, they're going, "Oh, come on! I can't read. I, I can't stand this any longer. I can't read a page yeah. a, a page a day. Yeah. You know, where's the bloody book? I'll buy it." Um, <laughs> That's exactly right. So it's kind of the hope, and it seems to be working. It seems to you know 
Jim has definitely been working for Jim. He's been on Keen Spot longer than uh, we've only just started. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm planning on putting the Odyssey on Keen Spot as well. Um, serializing that there before before it actually sees print and mm-hmm. uh, so yeah so doing that as well it's exciting yeah. I agree. so um, Dave uh, your Twitter account is you, if people want to tweet to you directly oh it's uh, Dave Elliot D okay. um, double E V E double L I O double T cool and if you actually, and also if you go to, um, Dave Elliott at deviantart.com, um, I'm actually, it's like there's some stuff that I actually post there first before I, you know, release anywhere else. And you can actually, if you've, you, it's a good way of actually taking a look around. You'll actually see some of the projects I've worked in over the years because, you know, um, um, you know, I, I've got to work with, you know, the Jim Storankos, the Weta Workshops, the Yoshitaka Amanos, the Mobiuses, the Simon Bisleys. Um, yeah. You still grow? Um, I'm actually trying to. I'm actually, it's funny, I used to, it, having not drawn at all for like 15 years, I think the last thing I, I think the last commercial job I did was, um, I inked an issue, I inked Keith Giffen on an issue of Dominion for Image. Oh, wow. Um, to help Keith out. Um, but that was like the last thing I did. And so recently I've just started doing some little sketches and some little drawings and, you know, I've been doing some little, you know, I, I draw monsters. So I've done sort of like a couple of Frankenstein's, Dracula's and things. And mm-hmm. I put them on my DeviantArt account and, I'm, just, you know, uh, but again, I'm, you know, I, I'm gonna, I, I want to do more of that, but it's just, I'm, the art is just going to be more for recreation and fun for myself. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. So, Dan, anything else you want to say or could ask? Yeah, I, I did want to. Okay. Are you gonna be? Are you gonna be at um, San Diego this summer? Yeah, well, San Diego, we've got the that issue of heavy metal is yeah. launching. And we're doing yeah, a special. You're going to be there uh, for that. Yeah, oh. yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Because um, I'm also working with um, Deviant Art. Um, Deviant Art will be sponsoring Artist Alley again this year. Great. Um, so we're going to. We've. I was on the Deviant Art panel for San Diego last year, and they've asked me to do the same again this year. Um, so we've got a couple of other promotions planned with Deviant Art. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll be able to talk more about those, as bef- you know, as the convention draws near. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely be there. Fantastic. Well, yeah. that's, uh, I think that's all I had to say, uh, Herbert. Oh, that's all I had to say, too, for this week, at least, <laughs> yeah. Did you want to add anything else, uh, Dave? Oh, uh, God, I think we covered most, I think we covered a fair amount. Um yeah, no, I just, that's it. You know, yeah, just, I, I think, I think just, um, yeah, I think that it's, I, I really like, I'd really like this to be a, you know, a creator's year. I think that, you know, I'd really like to see, um, and I, I, I don't just mean the sort of like the Ed Brubakers and the, you know, mm-hmm. and the Neil Gaimans and everything of this. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see, you know, young creators break in and, um, 
you know, I, th- there are, there's, there is quite a few retailers who really are giving them the chance. Uh, I love what Comics Tribe is doing. That thing of like, well, you know, we're, instead of going to Diamond straight away, just going, being able to go to Diamond and say, look, we printed a thousand copies up. We sold a thousand copies in two days through, mm-hmm. you know, 10 stores. Um, I think you should carry our books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I really think it's shaping up to be, um, if nothing else, a groundbreaking year. You know, I think it's going to be, we're already seeing a lot of new talent come surging through uh, publishers like Image Comics and um, publishers like that, uh, Arcana, and um, yeah, you look at you've got both, you've got Arcana and Arcaea. You've got, I mean, yeah, IDW, <laughs> I, yeah. IDW is having a record year. Um, I mean, you know, IDW is just, to me, it's like you look at a company like that where they've got, you know, on one hand, yeah, they've got like the ter- the licensed books and everything else, mm. but then you've got those fantastic artist editions that are doing their kind of, you know, the, the newspaper, you know, the Peanuts and Popeye. And mm-hmm. um, I just think it's like it's, yeah, I think that's, you know, IEW is also, you know, a real company to watch as well. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I, it's going to be, 2012 is going to be a great year, I think, for, for the comic book medium. It is. Well, if you look, if you look, I mean, the sales, I mean, it's, you know, everyone's saying that January and February sales are, sales are up, um, mm-hmm. in a, in a, in a big way. I mean, it's not just, you know, we've, it's, you know, a certain amount of it is DC still carrying that wave, still riding that wave, and, mm-hmm. um, but it's just generally, it's it's a lot of the independence, you know, images up, IDW's up, Dark Horse is up, mm-hmm. you know, Dynamite's, Dynamite's doing, you know, the, the the shadow and all of those, and it's just like, yeah, yeah it's getting yeah. A, it's, it's very interesting, very good time. Looking forward to uh, Garth Ennis' uh, shadow. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think um, that concludes our our epic discussion. <laughs> Unless uh, anybody has anything else to add. Nope. I uh, just want to remind people to go download the Comic Book Bin apps um, for Android, iOS, WebOS. I mean, use the store locator to find every comic book store in your area. I tested the Comic Book Bin app in China and all of Asia, and it works there also. So it's been tested in Europe also, so they work all over the place, those apps. So please go and download them. They're all free. (laughs) That's great. And uh, Dave, thank you very much for letting us interrupt uh, tea time. (laughs) 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 And uh, thank you for uh, spending um, so much time speaking with us today. We really appreciate having you on. um, A lot of history. Yeah, a lot of history. Uh, Like I said, you're... There's, there's a huge, I mean, it's like, you know, you could, there's so much history in, in the world and mm-hmm. of comics. There's, you know, every single country, um, you, you know, has, has had a, a, a rich history in uh, comics at some point or other. Um, and there's some wonderful artists. It's like, that's, I, you know, it's, I, cause I remember you just, you know, that feeling of, uh, I remember the first time I went to a French comic convention. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just like it was. I, 
you know, it was, you, you're looking on that last day when you're coming back and you're going like, how am I going to get these home? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, like, you're just seeing these books all the time and you're going like, oh, oh my God, look at this one. Oh, mm-hmm. look at this one. Oh, that's even better. It's, it's, and it's just, and I think that's, that's what's interesting now is that, and that's why actually why I love deviant art because deviant art is nowhere I know better where you've got young artists, established artists from all over the world mixing up. You know, you can see these influences and it's just, it's just great to see. It's just it's exciting. It also, it gives, um, you know, young artists that otherwise, you know, wouldn't be able to find, uh, well, I mean, they, they, they have the talent to get into a gallery, but because, you know, the market is so, uh, maybe oversaturated in the area that they, they live or whatever, they have an outlet to sell their work, um, which I think is really, uh, important to, uh, you know, young artists and starving artists. Well, there's a, there's a lot of artists on DeviantArt who have never ever had their work published professionally anywhere, but yeah. are making a very good living by doing commissions because they, they're great. Their artwork's great. They just don't have anywhere in their local area to, to publish their work. But yeah. people are commissioning their work from all over. And, you know, um, I was, I saw some work, uh, I was shown some work, um, by, uh, the two Polish girls and their work was amazing. And <laughs> literally what they, they make a living off of even art and they you know <laughs> once they've made enough money for the month they stop doing commissions and just do their own personal work and then whenever they need money they just you know literally like put the little sign up on their deviant art page saying we're, we're taking commissions <laughs> it's almost like a return to uh um dutch uh mannerism or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> just living off of commissions and <laughs> It's cool stuff. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, 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 I, you know, it's, it's, no one knows where the the whole digital publishing is going to end up really. I mean, Mm. everyone's got hopes of where it's going to end up, but I think that, you know, that's, I, you know, no one ever, I think the majority of us don't ever want to see the, the retailer, comic retailer go away. Yeah. But as far as an introduction, as far as the uh, the spinner rack, you know, what well, the spinner rack in the drugstore is now, I think, going to be the anthology. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be up, or you know, Amazon Kindle, you know, yeah. Yeah. Barnes and Noble Nook. I mean, I think that um, both the Nook and the Kindle aren't quite there yet. But I've heard from Amazon that they, I think, there's a new version of the Kindle hitting in July. Mm-hmm. That will finally be able to do anything that you can do on an iPad as far as the, the readability of the comics they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, that'll, that'll be the new drugstore. That'll be the new, um, newsstand. Oh, that's yeah, an interesting Amazon. concept. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. yeah. Amazon just signed, uh, some big, uh, exclusivity, uh, deal with DC a couple of months ago too. So, Interested to see what they do with that. Well, again, I think that was just a, a limited period. That was just yeah. a kind of a limited exclusivity. Which, oh, okay. And again, Marvel did one. I think you know they they did theirs with Barnes and Noble. Hmm. Um, um, which I, and I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think the ex, you know 
companies signing exclusive with anyone actually is, is actually a good idea. I mean, I know it's promotion for an announcement which lasts, you know, all of a day. Um, but I think that, you know, long term, I don't think that's, that's healthy. I think, you know, it's, it's one thing to offer a variant cover to someone, but to actually have an entire graphic novel or a book that's only exclusive through one platform, I don't think that serves them or the, yeah. the creators. The authors, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It well, seems uh, it seems like a a nightmare actually. <laughs> and that's why we still have physical books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is exactly. why it's funny because well, uh, I mean, for me, nothing will ever replace you know uh, a hard copy of a comic book. Well, well, the, I think that the, the you know the, the upsetting thing for me about the, the digital publishing is that I'm excited about it on one level, but on the other hand, you know. One of the things I used to love, where I, you know, both my kids are sort of well into their teens, you know, one at college, one, one senior in high school. But when, when they were young, we used to love going to, you know, the bookstore. Um, you know, they, they could just sit on the ground, they could pick up a graphic novel, they could pick up a book, look through it, you know, I could go and get a cup of coffee, flick through art books, you know, those wonderful, like big, art books, the wonderful big photography books that you could look through and it's like, you know, and it's, and you realize that, well, one of the things that killed borders is the fact that the, the, the bread and butter is all from the novels. Yeah. That's the thing that people come in for. And the novels are all being downloaded now on Kindles. So if you're getting your novels, through the Kindle, you don't need to actually go in the store anymore, which means you're not actually going to be exposed. There's not going to be that impulse buy to buy that beautiful art book of photography of the Amazon or, you know, um, airplanes or anything like that. So, and then if the store is not, it, it can't be profitable off that, then you don't have a store, which means that all those beautiful books that you used to be able to buy, there's no home for them anymore. <laughs> Um, and you, you know, you get this, they become harder and harder to find. And, um, you know, it's, I just, um, I just love to have books around me. I just love to have these like nice, there's nothing like, you know, if, if you just want to chill out and I prefer rather than watching a film or watching a TV show, I actually prefer to just pull out a book to just look at some nice, gorgeous pictures or paintings. Yeah. And it's not quite the same, you know, flicking them through them on a computer screen or <laughs> I don't know, it's just actually having a physical book where it's nice and big and you can open it up and look at it in detail, yeah. you know, um, it's just, yeah, it's not the same. There's going to be a, there's going to be a coming back. I mean, one of the issue, I mean, cause I'm, I work in mobile and I know, I know darn well, sorry about the bad word, but, uh, <laughs> um, all those comics that you download—that's not a bad word, Herbert. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All those comics that people download on on uh, tablets and stuff and on phones—you uh, can't move them anywhere. I mean, they're stuck on that platform. So eventually, that platform will just die. Whoever owns a company of those, that app, this day or something like that, somehow it's gonna die eventually. We know that, or it's gonna be bought by someone else, or they're gonna terminate this, terminate the service. So then all those comics that people buy digitally, they're going to have to replace them somehow. And that's yeah. when they're going to go back to stores. So it, it's kind of funny because I I work in mobile and I do not buy mobile comics. I'll, because I know 
I know that apps are not, they're not here to stay. It's just well, no, one you, step. You look, you've, you had like PlayStation just yes. cancelled their comics delivery system. Yeah. Now, Comixology, and I think graphically both have a service where when you make the, they're kind of the comics you buy are actually on the cloud and are actually available on all, pl on, you know, if you've got it, if you've bought it on when you were using your iPad, you can actually call it up on your smartphone or, yeah. um, so, but again, you still can't move it. Yeah. But, but the other thing is, well, let's, you know, um, you know, comicsology doing very well, but heaven forbid comicsology, you know, somebody there makes a mistake. They go in the wrong direction. They, they make a, they make a choice that proves financially fatal for them. What happens to all my comics? Mm -hmm. Well, you lose them. That's all. Yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Which is why I still buy my comic physically, even though I'm a mobile guy, which is kind of yeah. weird, but that's okay. <laughs> well, we, I, th I think the, the biggest, the, the problem was, is always been accessibility. And it's not just price, it's access, accessibility. The, cause I've always thought that, you know, and I think that DC, somebody at DC decided quite rightly that, we, we, the best thing to do is to start over because um, there's so much continuity. There's continued stories. Um, you know, if you can't access a comic, if you can't come in and pick up a comic and be able to access it right away, um, you're not going to pick up new readers. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's... I think the height was, you know, like four Spider-Man comics a month and none of those four Spider-Man comics actually had the same creative team and we're all part way through different stories. And it's, to me, I mean, I've, I've actually spent the majority of my career, uh, actually more doing more work on the newsstand for the mass market than actual the direct sale comic market. So when I look at it and I go, well, that's pretty, that's insanity. Mm -hmm. Why have you got four comics out with the same character? Not one of them has a complete story in all four different storylines. Mm -hmm. There is an inherent insanity to it. I mean, you, if, when you pick up a copy of Entertainment Weekly to read in the dentist, or you pick up on the, to read on the train, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you, you don't get to the end of an article and say to, it's to be complete, you know, continued next, next month. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's complete. And, a lot, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing Monster Massacre, which is an anthology book, and I'm working on Heavy Metal, which, Heavy Metal, which is an anthology book. And yet, anyone in direct sale market will tell you anthologies, oh, never sell. Hmm. Um, well, that's actually a complete work of fiction. Because yeah. in, yeah, sure, maybe in the direct sale market, we've got so used to this decompressed storytelling that, you know, anything in four, anything less than 400 pages to tell a, you know, a story about somebody going down a road and getting a loaf of bread is <laughs> oh, just too short. Um, but the thing everyone forgets is the biggest selling comics used to be the anthologies. Yeah. And that's not too long ago when, you know, comics like The Witching Hour at one point was selling more copies than Batman and Superman. Mm -hmm. Um, because they were great value. You could pick it up. You could, you've got sometimes three stories and maybe even a one page story in there as well.
Hmm. And it was all self-contained. And, you know, hell, you know, you didn't have to pick it up for another, you know, couple of months. And yeah. the next one you picked up was self-contained again. And you had, mm-hmm. you know, and from an artist, artistic perspective, it was like those are the kind of the comics of where people like Bernie Wrightson sort of came into the, the industry. And yeah. Mike Kaluta and those Neil Adams covers back then, they were, f- those, those were golden, those issues, those comics. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, but it was easily accessible. And that's what people want. You know, it's, you know, the anthology format, it's like USA Today, a newspaper, Entertainment Weekly, um, People Magazine, they're all anthologies. Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single one of them is an anthology. And I have, it's a, I've, I've never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, again, you can skip around. It's like you don't have to read everything in the order in the magazine. You don't have to start on page one and go through to the end. You can, yeah. you know, you probably picked it up because there's a, a cover feature of something and you want to read that first and, mm-hmm. and then you'll read something else and then you can go back and forth and, and read things at your leisure or what you want, you know, what yeah. you want, what you want to. And eventually, you know, you may well end up getting through everything. And it's just, you know, the idea of just, you know, taking things out in a long form, um, making things longer and longer and everything. I mean, you know, if, if you ever, if you got, I mean, with Marvel, sometimes you've got like a hundred books come out in a month. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, which of these is actually a complete story that I'm actually going to enjoy? <laughs> yeah. I can sit down and just read. How many of them have like overlapping story arcs as well, you know, because of some major event? <laughs> well, think That's... about it as, as well. I mean, it's like, look, when, you know, whenever you talk about continued stories and decompressed storytelling and someone will say to you, oh, but look at Lost. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, but it's like, okay, Lost was like that. But. It was one television show. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. Not like yeah. If, if every single show, imagine every single show on TV and even including the news, mm. not like telling you to come back the following day, come back the following week, come back, the, <laughs> you know, next month. I mean, mm. imagine, cause I mean, the, most of those are weekly shows. Yeah. And, you know, comics are, you know, a, a monthly. And if you've got a hundred comics that are all asking you to hold that information in your head till next month. Do you know that what that trains people to do? Because that, that means that there's only a certain amount of people whose mind has been trained to process holding on to all those storylines in their head, mm-hmm. which is why the average person looks, picks it up and they just, they can't access it. They, they just, no matter what you tell them, we've all been trained. We've grown up on it. We've, mm-hmm. we're, we're quite happy with it. They're not because you need to give them a comic like People magazine. Yeah. And, you know, that's why magazines like Heavy Metal are still going. But, and that's why that, you know, it's like with, when the issues I, I've been putting together over the years, it's like, I have to, like the, the one I'm about to do is, yeah, there's a, the, you know, it's probably the, um, the first issue of Heavy Metal that has a very strong, American lineup of creators, mm-hmm. but I've actually had to pick very carefully the types of creators that will actually work well for for this, 
but also at the same time, it's like we'll have an appeal to you know more than just it's you know this this isn't going to be a hundred page superhero comic. Yeah. Um, it's everyone's doing something different. You know, everyone. You know, it was like going through like you know, as someone would pitch their story, I go like, oh well, okay, all right, just cutting short here. Mm. Somebody else is doing a story about this, this, and this. Is that what you're going to tell me? Ah, right, okay, <laughs> let's think of something else now, shall we? <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's got to be, it's like, you know, that's the whole appeal. It's, you know, short stories. And I'm hoping that, you know, both, you know, with both heavy metal and the anthology itself, it, be, it becomes a regular, you know, a regular thing, but also serves as a springboard where with someone where someone can actually do a ten, you know, a couple of 10 page stories, like I'll do a 10 page story this year, 10 page story next year. I like the character now. I know who the character is. I get people coming up to me asking for sketches for that character now. Okay. Well, I'm going to try an issue. I'm going to do a one shot. Maybe I'll do a, like a 32 page story in one comic. Yeah. Um, and then I'll try a four issue miniseries because then by that point you've actually built up an audience. You've actually got a, uh, a group of creators, uh, an audience are following for that character now. So they want the next one. It's, you know, I think the, one of the best examples of that kind of model was Dave Stevens' Rocketeer. Yeah. Yep. You know, it was, you know, it was, the stuff was so beautiful. We didn't care if it came out. Like we, if we got 10 pages every four months, <laughs> um, it was just like, yes, we were all waiting for it to come. And I think if you produce quality, um, and just let people know when it's coming. If, if you're going to do it, if you're going to, if you can only manage 10 pages every four months, um, don't um, promise anything else. <laughs> Nate Simpson, non-player, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's like, just let people know. It's going to take a long time. Um, yeah. but it's, you know, again, certain things of quality people will wait for. And it, it's, it's why I like, you know, you know, Odyssey is ultimately, um, I'm looking at more like the, the French format of, you know, rather than doing a, you know, looking at it as being an ongoing comic or a miniseries, I want to do, you know, books yeah. and they'll be like, you know, I'll do the next one and then yeah. I'll do the next one. And eventually, you know, um, it'll build up and I'll have, you know, hopefully 10 or 12 of these books. That's where I want to go with it. That's how many stories I have lined up wow that's great yeah i'm actually i'm really looking forward to uh odyssey is do you have an uh, like an eta on that or well as i said the first story um uh the first story that i did with toby cypress will actually be in heavy metal in july which which will be a teaser but i'm looking currently at october launch um and i'm i'm thinking um what i might do is I had that and this other project. I said I, I'm, I'm, what I'm going to do is probably serialize them both, doing an, like a six issue, a six issue anthology where I'll put, you know, they'll both have like 12, 14 pages each, hmm. um, in there and they'll both collect up into two graphic novels at the end of it. Um, so I, I probably October, October launch for that. Okay. Great. All right. Well, um, I think now we're going to end it for real. We we faked you out. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, now you have to edit all that down to fifteen minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
No, you'll like this. We we barely do any any editing. We keep everything in there. I mean, the the listener they like it so. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Um, so, right. So, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Mr. Elliot. It yeah. was, uh, was a really awesome discussion. And it was just great to, uh, kind of pick your brain and, uh, you know, just speak to, uh, somebody who's so enmeshed in, um, that comic book history. Yeah. Well, that was great. That was a lot of history. Yeah, it was amazing. So, <laughs> thank you very much. And I'm a, a pleasure. Pleasure, man. Tell you about Marvel Man next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. We'll schedule that right after this. We'll schedule the next time, right? <laughs> cool. All right. All right. Thank well, you very uh, much. Yeah, no, no, pleasure. Great. Brilliant. This has been uh, Dan Horn and Hervé San Louis with uh, Dave Elliott, and um, we are signing off. Enjoy your uh, enjoy your week. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye, thank you.